And good morning, listeners. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Um, sorry, just having some troubles um, this morning, but um, I'm going to be playing a track for you first whilst I fix that up for you. Um, and this morning it is the 5th of December, um, and so we're hurtling towards the end of the year. Um, I hope that you're having a really great week, um, and I hope that you haven't been stressing too much um, about, you know, all things festive. Um, but yeah. Uh, first up this morning, let's play um, a really fun track by one of my favourite artists at the moment, um, and this one is called Billy Bad Again by Tasman Keith. Wow. 
I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna work, wanna grind out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. I just wanna rip for my hometown. Shawty wanna ride out, wipe out, lights out. Looking for the one we can find out. Shawty, I'm a rider, red hot right now. Got a school loose, never wind down. I'm watching for the top, I won't climb down. They see me flex, wanna poke an eye out. I'm stepping on next, so they lie down. Ten toes up, there's a strikeout. Check the specs, you standing next to the best. I don't check the rest, cause I'm collecting checks. Yeah, we big bold bitches, better come correct. Lot of lips moving, say it with your chest. I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna work, wanna grind out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. I just wanna rip for my hometown. I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna work, wanna grind out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. I just wanna rip for my hometown. Make, make like a plumber, baby, pipe down. Lot of foodie bitches looking dried out. Rolling with the team till it's time out. And if he acting up, that's a time out. BDE. Yeah, I know you look tight when you walk past me. This might be fake, got a lot up on my bed. I got a spot you could go to if you're nasty. Full speed to you, let me, let me get that. But it's ain't for the work, let me, let me get that. Yeah. Too good, make your blah blah. And I don't take chances, you can baby bet that. Moving through the low cloud, flown now, touchdown. Make a shorty sing like Motown. Everywhere I go, yeah, shut down, bust down. If you show up, I'ma show out. I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna work, wanna grind out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. I just wanna rip for my hometown. I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna work, wanna grind out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. I just wanna rip for my hometown. Yeah, yeah, I just wanna turn up. Tell a DJ, make sure that it's turned up. Yeah, to the roof till it burns up. They ain't wanna dance, but they ran when they heard us. What you shaking that ass for? If you ain't tryna bring it over to the dance floor. But you ain't gotta do a thing if you don't wanna do a thing. Cause baby, that's yours, the choice is there. All of my boys prepare, my voice is rare, you love it. I ain't going back and forth. Coming for the bag, of course, I'm back, I want it. Hands on the wheel, I skirt past there. I don't feel a thing, no hurt, that's there. Nobody better with the words, I swear I blaze that mic, I work that pen I be going hard till it's time out I just wanna work, wanna grind out I just wanna shine like a lighthouse I just wanna rip for my hometown I be going hard till it's time out I just wanna work, wanna grind out I just wanna shine like a lighthouse I just wanna rip for my hometown I be going hard till it's time out I just wanna work, wanna grind out I just wanna shine like a lighthouse I just wanna rip for my hometown. I be going hard till it's time out. I just wanna shine like a lighthouse. And that track there was Time Out by Jess B. And just before uh, I played that track, um, we played Billy Bad again. It's a new track by Tasman Keith. Um, so welcome, listeners. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM. It is uh, now 11 past 7 on the 5th of December. And joined on the line, we have Kate Kelly. Good morning, Kate. Morning. <laughs> and so what's new in news this week? Okay, so first up... Um, it's been announced that day-long strikes will hit regional train lines from next week. This is in the lead-up to Christmas as the public transport union steps up its fight for better pay. So the rail, tram and bus union has said that trains along every regional line will be hit by a series of two-hour strikes starting Monday next week and going into the following 24-hour strike, sorry, and they're going into the following week. So the first one will take place in State Transport Minister Jacinta Allen's Bendigo electorate. 
about 98% of operational staff on Monday voted in favour of the potential strikes, just as Melbourne's trams will also grind to a halt again later today between 10am and 2pm. So today's tram strikes will be the fourth set of strikes since March in a separate round of industrial action against Yarra trams. So it comes down to, boils down to V-Line staff are striking to pursue a 6% pay rise over three years, while the state government-owned rail operator is understood to be considering 2%. And then we head up to Queensland, where three Extinction Rebellion members who were arrested on Tuesday will remain in custody for more than two weeks after they were denied bail by a Queensland magistrate. So members of the activist group are claiming that the decision in the Cleveland Magistrate Court to refuse bail was a first and out of step with other similar cases. Police arrested two men who climbed onto a coal train on Tuesday and blocked freight heading to a coal loader owned by the New Hope Group. They also arrested a woman who claimed she was at the scene liaising with media on behalf of Extension Rebellion. So the activist group said in the statement it was particularly concerned about the decision to remand their media spokeswoman, given she claimed, claims to be at, to have been at the site in a supporting capacity, and that her lawyer has also said her charges are highly unlikely to be punished by a jail sentence. So in some cases, activists who block coal trains have been given fines in excess of 60000 in Queensland. And lastly, we have, um, according to the LGBTI Danger Index, Australia is the 17th safest country for LGBT travellers, according to new research. It's ahead of the United States, but behind Canada and the United Kingdom and New Zealand. So the index ranks the 150 most visited countries, according to eight criteria. And those include the legislation of same-sex marriage, anti-discrimination laws, and adoption recognition. So Sweden was the safest country in the world for LGBT travellers, followed by Canada in second place and Norway in third. Australia came 17th and was given a B-plus rating. And the most dangerous countries in the world, according to the index, are Nigeria, Qatar, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Tanzania, which all um, have criminalised homosexuality. And that is everything for all the news headlines for Thursday. Oh, thanks so much, Kate, for joining us on the line. Um, yeah, really interesting news coming out of Queensland um, with those protesters, yeah, being held on remand. Yeah, it's definitely one to watch. It's, I think it sets a very concerning precedent for for activism within the country. Mm, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. And uh, now up, we're going to play a track by Nookie, and this uh, track's called Blackfellas. No car keys, freedom ride, that's Charlie. You a nation, my army. I make a bit like the walkie. Going hard and I'm focused in. Narrow black, no talking shit. Narrow black, still a kind of a kid, but hey, look what I did, hey. Black, I be lit, hey. I'm back on my shit, hey. 
Turned up in the baggage. I just want a little baddie. Yeah, fucking up with the baddest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a little drunk with the Henny. Bad choices. I look around and see plenty. Yeah, I just wanna feel numb, feel numb, feel numb. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a little drunk with the Henny. Bad choices. I look around and see plenty. Yeah, I just wanna feel numb, feel numb. women it seems so obvious to me that if you live in a in a completely violent um cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives accent women what's a border they don't see it like a big wall right along the how the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives accent women a show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. VCR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one thing at Tricia Community Radio, please subscribe now. Just a moment, I Community Radio, Araja Al Ishtrakal and Ningal Ungalin Samuhavanali, Tricia Ray, Kurt Kondir Kundir Hal, Rindri Nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio I Gayaranin, or a Tangudam Elbumi Hai Kaotin. Hima Artanakrovetsek Iper Tricia Ray Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. You're listening to 855 AM 3CR. And now we're going to launch into a conversation that I had with Kao Shue about the history of boycotting. Enjoy. I'm here with Carol Chue, who's born in Singapore and is of Chinese heritage. She's a writer, researcher, and educator living on unceded Kulin Nation's lands. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm so happy to be part of this. So, Carol, could you please tell listeners um, a little bit about the research that you're conducting at the Melbourne University? Yep. So, I am a first-year anthropology PhD student and sort of feel like doing this interview is me getting ahead of myself, but um, I've been learning a lot uh, through reading, but then also talking to people, and I'm excited to share what I've come across so far. Great. So what kind of work are you conducting? So my research is about the use of boycott within um, Indigenous refugee migrant anti-colonial solidarities and this is sort of like a trans-Tasman sea study um, located in so-called Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I'm trying to think about boycott um, as more than just an anti-politics. Um, so usually it's presented as like refusal, disengagement or withdrawal. 
but instead I want to think about it as practices and discourses towards um, indigenous futurities and world making. Wow, that's a lot to encapsulate in <laughs> one's research. Um, so, Carol, could you first start off by telling listeners a little bit about the history of boycotting? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'm definitely still in the process of working on this because uh, this is part of my literature review. And, but I can say that um, the word boycott actually emerged in 1880 through the Irish Land League, uh, which is an organization that argued that um, when a man takes a farm from another um, who has been evicted, you must shun him. Uh, So that was how the word came about. But, of course, collective refusal precedes this. Um, But most of the readings that I've been doing uh, has focused on the 70s onwards, um, especially uh, with Aboriginal use of sports boycott. So, um, yeah, like while it's while boycott is today considered as one of the most effective accountability methods, it's not a new tactic for um, Indigenous struggles all over the ro- all over the world, and yeah, it continues to be used today. So. Uh, Perhaps I can start by talking about how um, with the South African anti-apartheid movement in 1959, it began as a boycott movement, but then it turned into, um, it was renamed as the anti-apartheid movement in 1960, which meant that it, had, it has that basis in um, boycott as a strategy. And uh, how that relates to um, our current location, so so-called Australia, was that the Springbok team, um, which was like an all-white South African team, they were touring UK, um, Australia, and Aotearoa uh, around the 70s and 80s. And in 1971, there were Springbok tour demonstrations um, led by the Black Power movement here that actually preceded the setup of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy in 1972. Um, but what was super interesting for me to read about was 1981 when there were there were protests um, at the Springbok match there in Kirikiriroa, which is otherwise known as Hamilton, um, on Waikato Tainui lands in Aotearoa. And this was, um, I guess, a pretty crucial time because it was, well, the campaign to boycott the Springbok match was led by Maori organizers and supported by some Aboriginal black power activists who had gone over to express their solidarity, as well as settler allies. And um, as part of this global anti-apartheid movement at that time, um, this was apparently the only time that a a sports boycott managed, and and the protests around that managed to cancel a game entirely. Um, And in Gary Foley's words, it was also the closest the country um, had come to having a civil war. So 
yeah, that was like a pretty, I think, crucial time where um, you have these like solidarity. Uh, apologies, listeners. Um, we're just having some technical troubles this morning, but we will head to um, another track, um, and this track is Better in Black by Thelma Plum. It's been a while 
Since I came with that new release, how they start to behave like there's a you and me. Tempered usually, had to go and cool it off. I ain't entertaining no foolery, had to losing cars, choose a guard. I'm believing in myself. Demons from my head, let me bleed in front of scalp. Uh, they ain't loving to repeating on your death. Never reading all your prayers, rather leave it on the shelf. Judging book covers, yeah. It's time to define all your life. Have the time of your life. I swear they burn tired like it's cooked rubber. Who be handing the smoke? If it's caught in your eyes, it's like to handle alone. Though I know it ain't the time for a line on yourself. Give some shine to your light. I swear the dirt lie. Mm. Give some shine to your light, I swear the dirt lie, huh? is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. 
You're listening to 855 AM 3CR. Um, and just before we played a couple of tracks, uh, so they were Better in Black by Thalma Plum and Book Covers by DJ. And now we're going to be launching into the second part um, of a conversation that I had with Carol Shui about the history of boycotting. So, Carol, you've now mentioned boycott, divest and sanction, so it would be remiss of us not to talk about the BDS movement. Um, So in 2002, there was the first formal BDS divestment campaign led by students, academics, um, and that was a cultural boycott in so-called Australia. And then in 2004, there was the Palestinian campaign for the academic and cultural boycott of Israel, and they made the official call for academic and cultural boycott. And then it was in 2005 that there was that um, official Palestinian call for this movement. Mm -hmm. So could you tell listeners a little bit about um, this? So yeah, like the Palestinian BDS movement is also a key site of my research. And ultimately, I want my research to be bringing people's stories together. So um, people who are part of... Uh, Palestinian BDS, but also um, RISE's Sanction Australia campaign and um, more contempt, well, 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 like current day sports boycott, um, such as in Stolen Wealth Games um, from last year. And yeah, um, for historical context, uh, maybe I'll start with. Um, 1917 with this document called the Balfour Declaration which I learned about when I was studying in the UK and um, it was a document where the British government basically announced that Palestine will be the national home for Jewish people and I sort of understand this document as the first public expression of support for Zionism by a major political power Um, and so Yeah, like, with that establishment, um, with that declaration, it meant that the British are obviously complicit in um, the current situation of Israeli occupation um, in Palestine. And to skip ahead a little bit, the another date that is really important is Nakba Day, which is otherwise known as, um, I guess, exodus, you know, when Palestinians were expelled from their home forcefully. I think it was set over 700,000 people. That's why we have so much, like, Palestinian diaspora all around the world. And um, in between then and now, there were wars, military operations, um, two big Palestinian intifadas and other uprisings in between Um, and then you have so obviously I think I'm like skipping over a lot but BDS was established in 2005 as you said and it finds lineage through the South African anti-apartheid boycott movement Um, but just generally the goals of BDS um, is to fight racialized injustice through demanding First, the end of Israeli occupation. Second, the recognition of rights of Arab-Palestinian citizens. And third, the right of return for all Palestinians around the world. And it is a call made by Palestinians, um, by Palestinian civil society. Uh, 
yeah, so BDS actions, I think, are often interpreted within an anti-racism framework, which is why I am really interested to bring it into conversation um, here, because there is a, a BDS movement that exists here, and it's growing and has, you know, like existed before today as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in so-called Australia as well, we act a lot in solidarity um, with Palestinian people. Um, and I think it's interesting that you're really trying to name some of the actions and campaigns that are happening here because we don't necessarily use the terms boycott, divest or sanction. But in your work, you are saying that um, you know, protests and campaigns such as the 2006 Commonwealth Games used those tactics. Um, so I was just wondering if you could um, yeah, speak a bit more about how the boycott, boycotting and divesting and sanctioning Australia has been used in Indigenous sovereignty movements. Yeah, so, um, I mean, boycott is a, a politics of refusal, um, and that's been ongoing, you know, since um, settler colonialism on this land. And uh, but but the explicit sort of and maybe popularized use of boycott. One example would be um, since 1982, when a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have been protesting and boycotting the Stolen Wealth Games um, on the Gold Coast, otherwise uh, otherwise known as the Commonwealth Games, which is held every four years, I think. Um, so it happened again in 2006 when the Games were held in Nam Biranga, uh, Melbourne, and, up, and most recently in 2018 back in Mianjin. Um, yeah, so the boycott of these sporting events have their precedent in the 1971 Springbok Tour um, of the South African, white South African rugby team, which I mentioned previously. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, that was uh, the, the tour that the anti-apartheid movement opposed across the world and in so-called Australia too. But um, for me, it's interesting to think about um, sport as, you know, this field where a lot of First Nations have.
And that track there was Good Times by Mojo Juju. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. Hope you've been enjoying the tracks I've been playing this morning. Um, I've been playing a lot of Indigenous artists. Um, so we had Thalma Plum before, Better in Black, DJ, Book Covers, and earlier on played a lot of Tasman Keith and Nookie. Um, and now we're going to be having an interview. 
Yeah, thanks, Carly. So you might have heard that there's been a lot of really exciting developments in terms of yeah making steps around um, reform that sex workers have been advocating for a really long time for around the country. And this morning we're going to be chatting with Gala Vanting, who's acting president of Scarlet Alliance, about things that have been going on in Northern Territory and Victoria and elsewhere. Good morning, Gala. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, So first up, let's start with the Northern Territory. What has been going on there and why is the passing of this recent bill so significant? Um, So what's been going on in the Northern Territory is that the um, Sex Industry Bill 2019 um, was passed last week um, and that bill um, essentially fully decriminalises sex work in, in the Northern Territory. Um, there's some civil codes still around advertising, um, which is a less than desirable outcome for us. Um, but look, on the whole, this is a massive uh, and very positive step for Northern Territory sex workers and people who travel to the NT to do sex work, which is which is a lot of people. Um, it's significant because it's it's only the third jurisdiction in the world to have decriminalised sex work, um, and and the work on the bill was done in super strong collaboration with um, the government and with SWAPNT, so the Sex Workers Outreach Project of the Northern Territory, um, their Sex Worker Reference Group, and Scarlet Alliance. Um, And so sex workers were a part of every aspect of of that process, um, and the relationship building between sex workers um, and the Attorney General was really strong. Um, So that put sex workers in a really good position. Um, the hearings for the bill um, and a lot of the process around it and the, the handside that's produced from that provides us with some really good precedent um, around the centering of sex worker safety in an inquiry into sex work legislation. Um, and, and so that's really positive. That's something that, uh, that governments globally can look towards as they go through these processes themselves. Um, so, look, it's, it's a pretty big deal, uh, and we're very excited and very proud of the NT sex workers um, who have been working for this for, you know, the better part of a decade. Mm. And on that note, you know, obviously this huge step hasn't come out of nowhere. You know, this is building off many, many years of activism and advocacy. Would you be able to give us a bit of an insight into all the work that's been going on behind the scenes to get to this point? Sure. So, I mean, look, this is... Uh, sex work was decriminalised in New South Wales in 1995, um, and so that's 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 uh, so obviously in Australia we've been campaigning for this for for a very very long time, um, and and the NT has has been doing so as well. Um, so th- this has been a, a pretty tireless process for them, um, and and like I said before, you know relationship building with. Um, Key policymakers has been a significant part of that, and also with other community organisations. Um, and so that's that's something that Swap NT has been doing on the ground um, through their outreach work, but also through their advocacy work, which is work that is unfunded um, and and really done, uh, you know, because we are absolutely um, passionate about, but also very insistent upon um, legislation around sex work actually prioritising our safety. Um, so the, I guess the sex worker community uh, has been very vocal with 
uh, with the wider community about what they want and why they want it. So you saw in, in the Northern Territory, you saw sex workers doing a lot of community education, um, you know, talking with, um, talking with their clients, talking with their friends and family, um, and, and providing resources for them so that they can also understand what we're advocating for and why we're advocating for it. Because community sentiment does play a role um, in inquiries uh, around sex work legislation, um, and it also plays a role in how the planning around sex work is done. Um, so it's important that, that sex workers are able to have a voice in the community about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like the bill was also backed by the union movement, the Women's Legal Service, um, lots of health organizations in the NT. Um, and I think what that shows us is how functional allyship can benefit sex workers. Um, and so that cross-sector sort of uh, communication and understanding and, and really solid allyship that took the form of submissions and, and testimonies in Parliament, um, you know, that's really significant. And, and the sex worker rights movement really requires that um, very active allyship from other sex workers in order, to, sorry, in, from other sectors in order to get sex work law reform over the line. Mm. And speaking of inquiries, if we now shift our attention to so-called Victoria, where we're broadcasting from at 3CR, we've seen the announcement of an inquiry here. What does this actually mean? You know, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, yet another inquiry. Is that what we need? You know, sex workers have been calling for what is needed for so long. Is this inquiry a positive step in your view or where is it actually leading us? I would say that it is a positive step. Just just the fact that a review is being sought is really long overdue. Um, the, the laws in Victoria for sex workers have been dysfunctional for them for a really long time. Um, and so seeing an active step be taken is, is a positive thing. Um, and look, this has been Labor's, Labor's position on sex work for some time now, and so it, it's, it's kind of high time that, that they make good on that. Um, so I guess, you know, the, um, every government is going to do their sex worker, sex work law reform process in a different way. Um, at the moment, this is what it's, it's looking like in Victoria. Um, and so the key thing here is that sex workers and sex worker peer organizations are centralized and involved through every step of that inquiry. Um, because this is a closed inquiry being, um, being led, you know, um, by, uh, by Fiona Patton, um, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, that she's going to have to, uh, sort of make the effort to, to do and also that we're, of course, going to be advocating for with her. Um, you know, she is a former sex worker and I think that, that, that having a former sex worker lead an inquiry about sex work, uh, is a statement that, you know, that sex worker voices matter. Um, but there are many of them. And so that's going to need to be engaged really closely and carefully. Um, the ideal scenario is obviously that it's a path towards the full decriminalization of sex work, and that's what sex worker peer organizations are calling for, um, and, and that's, uh, I, I think, uh, that's, that's very uh, unequivocally clear um, from all of the work that we've been doing in decriminalization campaigns in South Australia, Queensland, and NT over the last year, um, and, and now Victoria uh, can, can be an active part of, of that process as well, which is really exciting. Um, so, of course, what we want to see is the engagement of the inquiry with Vixen Collective, so that's the Victorian um, peer sex worker organization, and Scarlet Alliance, which is the national peer organization of sex workers and sex worker organizations. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as that collaboration um, evolves, 
sex workers will be pushing for full decriminalization um, and, and also for, um, you know, for the, for the decriminalization of all sex workers, uh, including people who are often left out in those processes, um, people like migrant sex workers or street by sex workers. Um, you know, that's, that, that's not something that sex workers are willing to compromise on. Um, and the hope is the government will, will come along with us on that. Mm-hmm. And for listeners who maybe aren't aware about exactly what decriminalisation means and why it's so significant, could you give us a bit of a, a bit of a snapshot about why this is, you know, the key demand, um, that you're pushing for? Sure. Um, so the, the decriminalization of sex work is basically the removal of any criminal law relating to sex work. Um, and, and that allows sex work to be regulated by uh, workplace health and safety and other um, uh, labor legislation. Um, and so that can, you know, I guess decriminalization can be proposed by a government and then sort of slowly eroded in ways that actually, in the end, end up being a form of licensing, um, which is not what we want. Licensing is still partial criminalization of sex work, um, and we're absolutely not interested in that. We're not interested in creating a two-tiered system in which some types of sex work are legal and others are not. Um, and so that's the danger that that, uh, that is present in Victoria. We already have a licensing system in Victoria. It's really not working at all for sex workers. Um, it, it's, it has impact on their safety. It has impact on their ability to, um, to earn money. And it's very difficult to work legally in Victoria. Um, so this is, you know, this is something that I think uh, needs to be very, very clear to both legislators and community. Um, when we say decriminalization, we mean the full decriminalization mm-hmm. of sex work. Um, so that means that we are treated as uh, other laborers and that our workplaces do not, uh, do not accrue extra uh, sort of codes and, and legislation uh, be- simply because it's sex work. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of working towards full decriminalisation here in Victoria, what next? What do we need to do um, in order to support this, you know, hopeful trajectory towards full decriminalisation here as well? So I think, um, like I said about the NT, um, the, the cross-collaboration of, um, of sectors who do support the decriminalisation of sex work is important. The community involvement with decriminalization campaigns is important and community education, um, particularly in Victoria, where which seems to be a bit of a hotbed of um, SWERF, sex worker, exclusionary radical feminists, um, who have a pretty strong voice um, in, in sort of the public discourse around sex work. Um, so really, uh, a really strong community education around that is absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, like I said, the most important thing is that sex workers are involved in every step of the process um, and that, that the terms of engagement are really, um, are defined by them because the, this legislation affects them as the primary stakeholders um, and so being really clear also about what, who the stakeholders are is going to be really important to the government. If people want to get involved with, um, with the campaign, uh, they can get in touch with Fixing Collective, um, and they can also get in touch with Scarlet Alliance. Um, becoming members of both uh, is a really great way to stay informed about anything that, um, anything that those organizations are calling for, um, and, and really allowing the campaigning to be led by the recognized peer organizations um, in, in the local area where the campaign's taking place, um, that, that's absolutely paramount. Getting your information from the right source um, and, 
and standing in solidarity with that organization is is a really key thing that you can do um, as someone who wants to support it. And so just to wrap up, um, if listeners do want to support or get involved with Vixen Collective or Scarlet Alliance, how do they do about that? Um, so I suggest going to their website first. So um, Vixen Collective, I believe it's vixencollective.com or .org, um, but a simple Google search for Vixen Collective Victoria will turn that up. Um, Scarlet Alliance is scarletalliance.org.au, um, and sex workers can become members of Scarlet Alliance, which gives them um, a whole bunch of connection to all of our work, um, both in Victoria and nationally. Um, and becoming a member of Scarlet Alliance is um, something you can do via our website. Amazing. Thank you so much, Scarlet, for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for ch- chatting with me about it. We've been speaking with Gala Vanting, Acting President of Scarlet Alliance, about the huge news in the Northern Territory, which has become the third jurisdiction in the world um, to, uh, to move towards full decriminalisation of sex work with the passing of the recent bill there, and also the current inquiry that's been announced in Victoria being led by Fiona Patton, and what you can do to support um, sex workers and their organisations in terms of pushing for decriminalisation here as well. Check out Vixen Collective and Scarlet Alliance. Music is the mid-a-gen. You got neck brace, no problem. You got two left feet, can't catch that beat. Take a deep breath, cause I got this yo. And I'm down to ride Where the beat drop Damn me you'll find And we still in the city But the crowd going wild Yeah Keep it banging through the system Light it up Start it up Like an engine Bars on lock Put the music freedom And the booty drum Go for up a bump bump Hey Okay here I come I give you some 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 of this Make it jump Do it just to do it And I do it till it's done Connect with the sound People over income That's team That's why I get the picture That's us That's mob If you with us Just be Yeah the queen is in the building You better come correct If you're knocking at the kingdom Yeah Queen is in the building, you better come correct if you're knocking at the kingdom. Uh-huh. 
Medellin. And that track there was Medellin by Baker Boy and Jess B. What a great collaboration. Oh, it's such a good track. (laughs) (laughs) We're playing it every week until (laughs) we're going on holidays. All right. So, up next, we're going to be chatting with Vicky John, um, who's a peace activist and general secretary of the Bougainville Freedom Movement Australia, about what's happening over in Bougainville at the moment with the current referendum. Good morning, Vicky. Good morning. To start with, for listeners who aren't aware about what's going on, could you just paint a bit of a picture for us about what's happening in Bougainville at the moment? Yes, I certainly can. It's very exciting times in Bougainville right now. Um, Bougainville has been waiting for a very long time to hold a referendum for either a choice of uh, greater autonomy, which means sticking with Papua New Guinea, or independence. Independence is favoured. So, um, um, from what I'm understanding, Bougainville uh, will definitely win her independence, and Bougainville will become the world's newest nation on Australia's doorstep. So we're seeking independence from Papua New Guinea. The voting began on Saturday the 23rd of November and goes for two weeks, and therefore ending on Saturday the 7th of December, this Saturday. And um, over 206,000 people have enrolled in the vote. Mm. And so you mentioned before that you feel pretty confident that that the vote will pass. Um, why is that, I guess? what What is the sort of general sentiment about what is sort of likely to happen from here? Okay, so what's going to happen from here? Once the, once the, um, the count of the vote has been done, which starts this Saturday, we should know something on or before the 20th of December, the outcome of the vote, and I'm very certain that it will be for independence. Um, so, but then after that, negotiations will happen through a consultation period, and Papua New Guinea will have the final say. So we're still on shaky ground, but at the same time, I think Papua New Guinea um, really it'll be difficult for Papua New Guinea to say no to Bougainville. Mm. And for listeners who aren't aware of, I guess, you know, this hasn't obviously come out of the blue. Um, this is building off many, many years of, you know, activism and grassroots work and political organising um, in the free Bougainville movement. Can you yeah. give listeners who aren't aware of that long history a bit of an idea about where this referendum has come from? Certainly. Um, this is not the first time Bougainville has cried out for her freedom, for independence. Um, I just a little, a brief history basically is that through, you know, the colonial carve-up with Germany and Australia, um, Australia controlled Papua New Guinea, which included Bougainville, um, up until 1975. That's when Papua New Guinea got her independence. Um, but in the lead-up to Papua New Guinea getting her independence, the Panguna mine on Bougainville was the, the source of like financial uh, or economic gain for Papua New Guinea. So the Panguna mine began on Bougainville in 1972. Of course, the environmental laws uh, 
were non-existent and the uh, mining company, which was Australia and, and Britain, um, basically carved, uh, created massive environmental damage um, and started mining against the people's wishes. So actually before the mine even started, um, the women in particular who are the landowners in Bougainville um, went with their with their um, babies and children to protest against the surveyors that were there and they were bashed and beaten. So right from the word go, the Bougainvilleans did not want the Panguna mine. So sadly it went ahead um, and caused, as I said, massive destruction, um, massive environmental destruction, pollution, no longer could they you know, live from the river that they used to, to drink from, to bath in, to wash in, etc., because it was highly polluted and still is polluted to this day, but has been shut thanks to the landowners um, basically saying we've had enough. It's, it, they, you know, they could see what was happening. The Bougainvilleans weren't getting any, you know, real benefit from the mine. All I could see was the pollution and eventually resisted all that after trying peacefully to negotiate, you know, some sort of fairer deal with the mining company. But their words basically fell on deaf ears. And so they got to a point where um, one of the landowners, Francis Owner, um, who's now passed away, um, stole some dynamite from the mining site and blew up with, you know, other friends, uh, three electric pylons which stopped the mine from operating in 1988. So the mine still is closed to this point. Um, sadly, after that, a war ensued using Australian taxpayer money Australia donated four helicopters, Iroquois helicopters, to the Papua New Guinea Defence Force that were meant to be to help, you know, with evacuations, which were never used that way. They were used as gunships, which means they had, you know, massive guns, machine guns, hanging outside of the helicopters, just, you know, shooting everyone in sight. So from 1988, right up until... 1998, the war on Bougainville um, lasted, killing at least 20,000 Bougainville people using our taxes. Mm. And it's so important, isn't it, for, I guess, for listeners to understand the Australian involvement and complicity in what's been going on in Bougainville, um, which continues to this day. And on that note, I want to ask, because I've, I read something about, um, that with the Panguna mine, that there is talk of that possibly reopening. Is that correct? There's lots of opposition to the mine being opened. Um, one, the, the government are trying to say that, that they need the mine back open for, you know, to get Bougainville on its feet when she does get her independence. But I feel that there are other ways that, can, that you know that can be achieved. You know, it can be achieved through you know horticulture, fisheries, agriculture, eco, uh, not eco, eco tourism. You know, and small scale mining. 
But yes, the the push is still there to to open the Panguna mine, uh, but there is still strong opposition, strong opposition to have that mine open because they're you know it's still very strong in you know with regards to you know what what the Panguna mine caused you know twenty thousand people dead, mm. environmental destruction, and it's just it's it's just to What's you know, it's too close to the bone basically to even start talking about the Panguna mine reopening. The other aspect of that also is that apparently it's going to cost about eight billion dollars to reopen the mine. That was estimated by the mining company Bougainville Copper Limited. Um, and you know, to, to gain like um, any sort of profits would take you know at least five to ten years. So I don't think. The Panguna mine is the answer for Bougainville. And so in terms of what is the answer in the push for independence, where, like, yeah, I guess what, what are people hoping that will lead to? Why, why is that the key call? Um, well, the key call is that this, the people of Bougainville have been wanting independence for a long, long time. And they're ready for independence. Um, they, they, you know, the Bougainville is situated seven kilometres um, from the Solomon Islands and over 500 kilometres to Papua New Guinea. But they're still under rule, under um, the under an, an autonomous rule with the Papua New Guinea government. So Bougainvilleans, you know, are basically. Uh, connected culturally, ethically, geographically to the Solomon Islands, not Papua New Guinea. Uh, that's one point. Uh, the other point is that they um, have, they, they know what's, what's happened over the last, you know, since the mine was shut in 1988. They know what the PNG government have done to them, you know, thanks to the mining company. And they, and they have really... Um, basically hell-bent on having their independence and starting their own country their own way. And how can listeners support and find out more the Bougainville independence movement? Um, I have operated an email list for many, many years, so I'm most happy to reveal my email details to you. Um, There's also a Bougainville Freedom Movement Facebook page which I've only recently set up. And, um, yeah, so I'm happy to reveal, um, you know, if anyone wants to get more information or are interested in the Bougainville issue, yes. Would you like my email? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, you can contact me at Vicky, V-I-K-K-I, B-F-M, which stands for Bougainville Freedom Movement, 123 at com. Wonderful. And so you said before that we can expect to hear results from the referendum from December 20th. Yes. So the the voting closes on Saturday, the 7th. That's this Saturday. And um, according to the Chief Referendum Officer, the referendum results will be announced no later than the 20th of December. Then there's a 40-day period where whereby people can petition the vote or, you know, contest the vote. So, um, 
So then after that, uh, there'll be a post-referendum p- uh, period where negotiations and consultations are going to be complex and lots of strategic thinking um, between Bougainville and Papua New Guinea. And then Papua New Guinea will get the final say. Yep. Well, we do encourage listeners to absolutely keep your eyes out and support the movement um, to for independence in Bougainville. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, um, Vicky, to let us know about what's going on in Bougainville. Thank you so much. Have- You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. It's 17 past eight. We've been chatting with Vicky from the Bougainville Freedom Movement about the referendum that's currently going on there. And now we're going to head to a track um, before daylight by the Marindas. We made a home where we can walk together, where love is free to be alive forever before daylight.
And that track there was Before Daylight by the Marindas. Oh, such a beautiful track by them. And now, last Thursday, the Andamantra traditional owners um, were seen contesting the controversial underground coal classification um, project at Lee Creek in South Australia's uh, North. Um, and so those folks attended Lee Creek's Energy AGM in Adelaide. And now joined on the line, we have Dwayne Coltard, who's a community organiser with Original Power and an the man. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you very much. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about um, the events that unfolded outside this AGM and a little bit more about um, the proposed projects as well? Yep. Okay. So last, uh, like you said, last Thursday we had a action outside Lee Creek Energy's uh, AGM uh, that they had that we brought down traditional owners and local residents, um, and the mob, from um, the most nearest communities uh, to the proposed project. So that's Lee Creek and Copley. So we had a good delegation of traditional owners come down um, who were very much against this project happening at Lee Creek. So um, a little uh, uh, background about it, um, Lee Creek Energy are looking um, to do a commercial plant for underground coal gasification, um, and that's the process by which they burn the coal underneath the ground, uh, pump up the gas, capture the gas, uh, and then um, use the thin gas for um, export. So um, that's that's a big concern for our mob because they've um, you know they've seen what's kind of happened in Queensland and what's happened um, internationally with the banning of such technology in Scotland, the United Kingdom. So uh, MOB were very, very much, um, uh, you know, happy um, to really, you know, have this action and see so many supporters out there, um, not just in, in Adelaide, but right across the country are concerned about what um, uh, this company want to do uh, with with the coal um, at Lee Creek because uh, it's an important part of um, Ajimatna, Yurumura, Ajimatna uh, creation story, um, that site there um, at Lee Creek. Mm. And uh, what unfolded at the AGM? Were there any board members that were willing to listen to you? Yeah, so we had the opportunity where we had an action outside where we spoke to our supporters, kind of delivered the message as um, shareholders were were attending, were entering the AGM. Um, we had the opportunity to take some community members inside the AGM to ask some questions. Uh, so we had some really powerful speakers um, come and question the, the board um, of Lee Creek Energy to say, well, you know, traditional owners are very much against this. Um, you know, there's not going to be much that is, is going to change our mind um, about, you know, whether we, we agree with this um, project or not. So uh, we had we had some really um, uh, powerful, like I said, community mob come in and really, you know, put the, put the pressure on the company um, and highlight to shareholders uh, and investors that, you know, this is something that is very dangerous that our community are against. Um, why would you want to put your money towards this or, or uh, be involved in a project that threatens uh, land, country, culture and water? Mm, absolutely. And you did mention also as well that this technology is being banned, has been banned um, internationally. And yeah, um, yeah. it's a bit and different so actually, that process to, you know, um, even some fracking methods as well where this... Um, it's um, the slit, isn't it, underneath, and then it's like captured underneath this coal classification. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit different. It it is, and and the thing is, you know, it's you know what we've seen in the past, and there aren't many. I I, I don't think there are any. Uh, I think there might be a commercial plant, 
UCG plant in South Africa. Um, I'm not too sure, but there there isn't. You know, it isn't a, a, a it is unconventional uh, technology um, that really you know threatens you know um, our community. And after 50 plus years of coal mining um, in that area, the Lee Creek coal field was previously um, the coal mine that powered the Port Augusta power station. Um, which provided um, uh, electricity to parts of South Australia. So after that ceased in 2015, the Alinta Energy Centre weren't going to, um, uh, you know, uh, continue with coal mining. Um, immediately, our mob thought, "Oh, hooray! This is a chance that we can let our land heal. Your loose coal can be um, healed in, and we can start to rehabilitate the land that had been damaged so much through coal mining." Unfortunately, that hasn't happened to Ajumatna people's um, desire to, you know, to their satisfaction, is that there still is this damage that is visible from the coal mining that Ajumatna community are very much concerned about. Uh, one of the biggest things at the coal mine is that we have our Adlawigli, our fire stick and our mukume, our damper rocks there. So those are um, uh, um, a cultural, physical manifestations of our culture physical cultural artefacts there on the on the site at Lee Creek um, that were originally dug up in the 80s. Um, and it, it, it goes right to our creation story. Our Yurumura is that uh, Yulu created the fire with that fire stick that was dug up, so it's a fossilised tree log, um, uh, and a damper rock, a mukume that he, he was cooking in the ground. So we knew about it all along. Um, we knew about the coal. Um, the, like, like I was saying, that in mm. our creation story, the coal was created by Yulu. Um, that area used to be a, a, a like a, a forest type area um, that was burnt down um, in our story, and that's what created the the coal that sits underneath that ground right now. So, um, you know, it's a big part of our our cultural identity. Um, you know, and and it's probably one of the biggest you know creation stories. Mm. For our mob is, is the story of Yulu, the kingfisher man, travelling down from just past Lindhurst, a place called Galkabana, Mount Termination, and, and he stopped at Lee Creek um, to make a feed, and and that's where we ended up with the with the coal. So it's very much a big part of our identity, and, and we're trying to you know we want we want this place to be understood through cultural uh, through a cultural lens. We can't look through it through a financial lens and. and Think about the money we can make off this area. We actually need to prioritise the story um, of this land, of this country, from the first peoples, from the first nations peoples who have cared for country for thousands and uh, since time immemorial. So, um, mm. I think this is a good opportunity to, you know, get them get the story out there about our culture, about our Yurumura, about Yulu, and and you know what he created. Um, hopefully, then get people on our side to really fight against this. And, and I understand that this is um, a really important uh, uh, struggle for our mob. Mm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that on air as well. Um, and what can listeners do to support the campaign um, to make sure that this underground coal um, gasification doesn't go ahead? Yeah, well, I'll definitely ask listeners, please, if you're interested and, and want to support us and, and kind of get the latest news about what's happening with the campaign, then please sign up um, to Original Power. Just head to originalpower.org.au um, and find the tab Copley is Our Home, and that'll give you some information about where the campaign's at. Please sign up so you can get the latest information. Um, and also, 
um, uh, you know, check check us out on Facebook, like us, um, you know, kind of get involved in, in, you know, receiving regular updates. Uh, one of the biggest things that we asked for Community Mob to do at the protest um, at Lee Creek Energy's AGM was actually ring the Premier um, of South Australia, Stephen Marshall, um, to let him know that you're totally, you know, you stand with Ajumatna community and you're in, the, in their opposition to the UCG project going ahead at Lee Creek because we know that, you know, at the end of the day, Lee Creek Energy, the company might go away and then there might be another company that pops up around the corner uh, in the not-too-distant future. So we want, a, we want a commitment from the state government, from the Premier as the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Stephen Marshall. Um, so... Um, Oh, I've got the number here. Um, So for listeners, because um, you're probably listening on Kulin Nation, so uh, 08 at the beginning, 84293232 to call the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, um, Premier Stephen Marshall. Yeah, and and as many calls as we can get um, would be great. No matter where you are listening from, I think it's very important that we build solidarity in, in First you know, First Nations people's movements to protect country. And, and this is a great opportunity to not only, you know, give your voice to, to you know, amplifying um, First Nations people's uh, stories and, and um, viewpoints, but it's also um, learning, I guess, a little bit about the culture in South Australia and, and for Adyamatna people, you know, um, thankfully... We, you know, argue about the people continue to hold their their language. Mm, absolutely. Um, uh, so, and a big part of the language is the land. So, if you don't have these places to go back to, how can you uh, uh, really focus and revive and, and maintain your connection to your language? Um, because it's it can't be separated. Mm. It's all in that one um, uh, dynamic. So, land and culture can't be. Uh, um, negotiable um, to me, you know, culture is non-negotiable. It's 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 the bottom out, b- bottom line for our mob. Um, we're going to keep fighting for it. Um, so we just want to get as many people on our side as possible. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to to come and talk um, this morning, and um, a big hello to all your listeners who who are listening and you know are keen to hear more about this story. Um, it's definitely be you know sign up and, and stay in touch. Thank you so much, Dwayne, for joining us here on 3CR. Thank you very much. And that's all we have time for. Um, And up next is Lost in Science.